Welcome to The Yoga Voice, a podcast by City Yoga, School of Yoga and Health. Our guests discuss how the contemporary practice of this ancient art transforms the lives of individuals and communities in the Midwest and beyond. City Yoga has been a center for the practice of yoga and yoga teacher training since opening in 2002. Join us as we explore how yoga inspires and transforms. Dave Sims here at the Yoga Voice and greetings to all of our listeners and welcome back after a little sabbatical from the holidays. I hope everyone had a safe, healthy holiday season and travels and and that you got to spend some time with loved ones and connect with community. And here we are, a new year, 2020, a new decade has begun. Exciting times and we're looking forward to another year of the Yoga Voice podcast. So thank you all for listening and I have an amazing conversation coming up on this episode today with a Kundalini teacher, she's level three and she's an intern at the Aquarian Academy. She's a mother of two. Fun fact, she's also a sailor. It's our teacher, Diane Hancock. She has been teaching at City Yoga for over 15 years. She's our Kundalini teacher, and we, we really got into a whole array of topics, but what was really intriguing was the depth of study that she's had to advance her along the path as a Kundalini teacher and and within that, she uh, went to New York and trained with uh, Dharma Mitra, a longtime yogi, instrumental in bringing yoga to America and teaching it for decades upon decades. And and then her study within the realm of Kundalini has taken her to these amazing teachers throughout the U.S. And I really think you'll enjoy this conversation as we get into her views and philosophies around kundalini style of yoga and how yoga has become such an amazing transformation tool. The uh, sound vibration, she has a love for gongs and we got into that and she's got four symphonic gongs and she does these gong meditations at the equinox and the, and the the different solstices. So four times a year, she'll do something special here at City Yoga. And But she is a, an awesome message to share. And with that, I do hope you enjoy giving this episode a listen. And as a little added bonus, since we took a little break from our our routine of releasing a podcast every every two weeks, this podcast we always drop on Mondays. So next Monday, there'll be a bonus episode featuring Cassie Stockcamp, who you may have remembered her from episode three. She was uh, beginning her year-long journey around the world doing volunteer work and teaching yoga in exotic places throughout the world. She stopped about midway through because she was back in Indy for a kid's graduation. And now she's completed a year and she's actually still going at it, but she was back in Indy. So we got her in the studio and, and had a great conversation. So you can look forward to that coming up next week. And for today, do enjoy listening to the conversation I have with Diane Hancock.
Once again, Dave Sims here at the Yoga Voice. Thank you all listeners for tuning in to hear our show. And I'm excited tonight because we're talking with a longtime teacher here at City Yoga, Diane Hancock, Hari Dadi. She's a Kundalini teacher, level three. She is also a mother of two and a sailor, which I just found that out, which is cool. And she's an intern at the Aquarian Academy. So she's have just an amazing amount of depth in her yoga journey and her practice. And she, we were talking earlier and how her Kundalini class here at City Yoga is coming into its 15th year in 2020, just a little over a month away. So we, she's got a wealth of experience to share with us, I'm sure. So welcome, Diane. <laughs> Thank you, Dave. I'm really excited to be here. And it really does come at a good time because it has been almost 15 years here at City Yoga, which is pretty amazing. It's the same class. It hasn't moved around or anything. That's pretty cool. That's, and not too many, well, there's aren't any, there's only maybe one other studio that's been around that long in the city. Yeah. And not, so not too many places can, you know, have that, that bragging rights. Or <laughs> but uh, so... I always like to start out with a little dive into your history and tell us a little bit about your yoga journey. Okay. And it can be a lot. It doesn't have to be a little. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, when I was younger, um, I was in grad school. I was in radio and TV um, at uh, Indiana University, and it was such a stressful program. And that's when I first found yoga because Cherry Dario, some of the old timers might remember her name, was teaching. Um, and she had this beautiful house out in the woods uh, east of Bloomington. And I took a six or eight week course over there. Um, and it's the first time I'd ever taken yoga. And what was so cool about it is um, we would go to this beautiful house, a rustic house, and have our yoga class. And then she'd feed us something um, every time. And it was always something really healthy, um, usually vegan. Um, and then we could go to her hot tub. Uh, outside and I was taking this in the winter so we'd run through the snow to the hot tub after <laughs> yoga and we could sit in the hot tub and you know just talk and uh that was the highlight of my week because I was uh, I was teaching uh television production while I was also you know in the class that was my graduate assistantship okay. and so I was kind of going from seven in the morning till 11 at night pretty much every day so that that's how I started with yoga and one of the things that was really un kind of sad is, you know, once I was out of Bloomington, I couldn't find yoga anymore because, you know, here in Indianapolis back in the 80s, they didn't really have it um, very much. Uh, so I always uh, took yoga when I go to San Francisco on vacations. And at that time, I, I would try to find Sivananda yoga because that seems to be what was there. So, you know, yoga was just this kind of vacation thing for me until the late 90s. So was the class in Bloomington a certain style or was, was she? I think it was just traditional Hatha yoga. Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, of course, it's kind of interesting because a lot of times you'll ask people who take yoga and they're like, oh, yeah, I take yoga. And and you'll say, what kind of yoga is it? And they're like, well, I don't know. She just tells us what to do. <laughs> so I'm kind of having the same answer here yeah. on that one. But, yeah. but I think it was just regular Hatha yoga. Okay. Although 
I do believe that Cherry and a lot of the other people who um, were around this part of um, Indiana maybe were disciples of Swami Rama. Uh, so if that was Hatha, then that's probably what it was. Or... Okay. I, I, I do not know. Yeah. Yeah. Once upon a time, we went to interview her, Lori Heath and I, and uh, she was writing for some yoga magazine. And we got a little bit of the history, and I really wish I could lay my hands on that interview. Uh, because at one time I knew all this, but it's been a while. Well, I'll put a little <laughs> note for the future. I, I've been thinking in the back of my head, you know, someday I would like to do a history of yoga in Indiana podcast because mm -hmm. I like history and there's so much of it in the community well before there were studios. And yeah, and I always am reminded of that. And I talking with Carol and talking with like, um, Marsha Pappas, mm -hmm. who literally was teaching before there were any of the studios open yet. Right. So those, I mean, there were some maybe little things where people were doing yoga in their house or had, yeah. had some gatherings, but as far as like a commercial space, there, that didn't really happen till about 99. Yeah, that's about when I started taking um, yoga classes again because I was um, at NIFS, National Institute of Fitness and Sport. I had a membership there. And I started going to the um, Friday morning 6 a.m. class that was led by Alicia Swanson Oske. Oh, nice. Yeah, she was Alicia Swanson back then. Okay. And uh, what was so cool for me is um, usually I was the only one there. Uh -huh. <laughs> so I had semi-private lessons for about two years from her, and it was so cool. I mean, I think she had just graduated from her teacher training program and you know she got to learn on me and uh at some point um though i found out that there was um well my friend carla becker uh who i was working with uh said that uh paul mahern who used to be in the zero boys uh punk rock band we were all punk rockers back in the day all right and she said well, Paul Mahern is teaching here, you know, over at our gym and he's wearing a turban and he's calling himself this name, Mahan Kalpa Singh and teaching something called Kundalini Yoga. You want to go? And I was like, yeah. That's awesome. So punk rocker to Kundalini. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And I was like, I'm not going to miss this. So, um, what, what was his band? Do you remember? The Zero Boys. The Zero Boys. Okay. Yeah, that, he yeah. was he was in the Zero Boys back in the day, and actually they still play sometimes. I mean, it, I, I don't think they're constantly playing, but you know you can still find them a lot of times at the holidays. Mm -hmm. But um, so that's that's kind of where it went because. You know, I'd been taking all this yoga, which I guess was vinyasa related, and th at some point I started saying like just thinking to myself, I always thought it was supposed to be spiritual and I'm not quite sure where that spiritual part is. Mm -hmm. and, um, and I really found that in the Kundalini. And at first when I found it, I wasn't sure I liked it either. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but anyway, yeah, I started going uh, over to the gym with Carla and we would go to uh, Paul's class. And, um, you know, it, it was pretty amazing. I mean, he had the white turban on and he had those piercing blue eyes and he was very, very neutral in how he taught. And I didn't really actually know him. I just knew of him. Mm -hmm. um, but the 
the yoga was so cool because the first time I went, I had been, um, I had gotten a poison pen email letter um, from some guy I worked with uh, that day. And he was just saying all these horrible things to me, like I'd done something to make him feel bad. And at the time, I was the kind of person where if I got that on a Friday afternoon, I would have gone home and ruminated about this all weekend long. It would have ruined my weekend, I mean, because I would have just been feeling so sensitive and and so, you know, guilty, like, oh, I did this horrible thing to this guy, and, oh, no. and why did I do it? And anyway, I, so I went to that Kundalini yoga class, which was really, really weird. And I can remember thinking, gee, I hope my boss doesn't come by this door and see me, which was just ridiculous because it was in a totally separate building. And like, why would I care if this boss was seeing me? I mean, but if you know what Kundalini is, we do some pretty strange things in there. Like, you know, we might have our arms up in the air and fists going in big circles as we're breathing breath of fire or something like that. And it does look weird from the outside. Um, You know, there's myriad reasons why it's good and why it's good for you but you know when you first start doing it sometimes it does feel kind of weird so anyway but 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 the what happened was after the class was over i went home i had a great weekend i came back to work on monday morning there was an apology in my email from this guy who said oh i'm sorry i sent that to you you didn't really do anything wrong i mean what you said really wasn't bad it was just that you know, people have been saying things to me all day long and 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 you what you said was just the straw that broke the camel's back and I'm really, really sorry that I sent you that email. And I was thinking like, wow. And then I remembered how I felt before I walked into that class. Mm-hmm. And I realized that my weekend had not been ruined. And that's when I started going in earnest. And I went every Friday afternoon, you know, until he stopped coming and then he was coming from Bloomington and then he would come to City Yoga after he went to class where I worked and he would do another class. Oh, cool. And then he sent a substitute and I, I stayed as long as she came. And then when uh, she stopped coming, because gas was really expensive back then and they were driving all the way up from Bloomington to do this, um, I realized that we weren't going to have yoga where I worked anymore. So... I went off for teacher training. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was it was pretty interesting. So it sounds like once you delved into Kundalini, you were hooked. And Absolutely, was like- it was it was just so different and so cool. And you know, it's not necessarily a yoga for people who like to do the same thing all the time. So it's it's definitely um, something different every single week, unless you get a teacher who teaches the same thing every week. Mm-hmm. But as a teacher, I have you know more than 8,000 meditations and kriyas that I can teach. And so I tend to do it in themes. So um, anybody who comes to my class, you know, whatever we do on one week, it's going to be something completely different the next week, typically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, so tell me about the teacher training so that sounds like that was the next step yeah well um at the time and it was a really hard decision for me to make at the time because um i had 
I had been separated uh, in my marriage, and I had a daughter who was having some, you know, pro teenage problems. Um, and my father had been diagnosed with lung cancer, um, but it was very recent. And so, as much as I wanted to go, you know, I had to go and talk to his doctor and say, "Well, I want to go do this thing, but it's it's a whole four weeks away," and you know. It, I really kind of had to ask about his life expectancy. And, and the doctor was like, if you want to do something about like that, do it right now. And it was almost right now. At the time, it was August uh, of 2004. And um, he said, you know, he, he's going to be around for a while, um, but he's going to get worse. And, you know, if you do it now, you'll be fine. So I took all that sorrow and I took all that pain and I took it to New Mexico with me. And um, our teacher training was at uh, Ghost Ranch in oh. Abiquiu, New Mexico. <laughs> and um, that's where Georgia O'Keeffe used to paint her paintings. Mm -hmm. uh, she used to be a guest there. Isn't that uh, so the, the Center for Co Action and Contemplation there in that area, around that same area? I don't really know because, I mean, I... You know, I was just on a shuttle from Albuquerque. Okay. They took us straight to the ranch. And I mean, it was kind of like living in summer camp for the whole time. Okay. Um, and we were at, I don't know whether it was seven or 8,000 feet. I mean, it was, it was pretty uh, high altitude as well. It was just, it was a complete separation from my normal reality going to this training. And, and it did really help me because I was in such a negative state, you know, as I left for this training. And once I got there, it really turned me around and I felt so much better after I had come out of it. Mm, cool. I can remember sitting in a canyon on a rock in the middle of a stream, just chanting and just having my voice echo off I the rocks. Can you? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's very cool. Yeah, it's a good thing I didn't know about mountain lions back then. <laughs> <laughs> but we didn't see any mountain lions while I was there. Okay. And so that was in 2004. And did you come back? And so we're coming up on 2020. So you must have started teaching in 2005. Yeah. yeah well, I started in 2004 when I returned um, and I was doing it at work. Um, I took over that Friday afternoon class that um, my previous teachers had had. And then in 2005, I started teaching uh, at City Yoga. Um, Nikki at the time, um, well, she let me have my first class on Wednesday mornings at 6 a.m. from 6 to 7. And, you know, after a couple months, that wasn't going too well. There's just a couple students, sometimes nobody. Yeah. Uh, one time I got scared to death because there was a cat up in the ceiling and I could hear it, but it wasn't meowing. It was just walking around up there. <laughs> <laughs> and then all of a sudden there's this little hole and I see this little kitty face peering down at me. Um, but that's what it was like. It was just kind of, um, you know, desolate in the mornings. Right. And I said, you know, is there some other time we can move this to? And she said, well, yeah, why don't you do this? Why don't you make your class $5 and why don't you put it on Sunday morning at 11 o'clock? At the time, City Yoga was closed on Sundays. Oh, okay. And we'll make it a community class and, uh, you know, see how that goes. And so, that's the class that opened up the community Sundays here. Oh, nice. And it's still there. And it's still there. Yeah. Yeah, it's $10, not $5 anymore, now, but. <laughs> yeah. The cost of electricity went up since then. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, that's, that's a really great little local history. Now, you 
working full time during this whole time, right? Yeah. So I have been. Yeah. <laughs> uh, how did you pull off the four weeks away for the training? And I know you do a lot of other training. Is that just? Yeah. You know, I get a, a good deal of vacation time where I work. I mean, I definitely had to. Um, I had to accumulate it and do it all at once. And then that's all I got to do that one year. Um, you know, it took every bit that I had. So okay. I didn't really get to do anything fun with my family or anything like that that year. But it kind of didn't really matter because, you know, we were kind of in disarray, you know, learning how to show kids back and forth and needing to be with my parents. So, right. yeah. Yeah. But but my ex was great. You know, he took care of the kids for for that three and a half weeks that I was gone. Okay. So how has your own, how's yoga transformed you? I mean, you spoke in some ways about how there was a connection that seemed like it was, there was a healing energy and not trying to put words in your mouth, but mm -hmm. from that first class going in and know there was this email looming that, didn't ruin your weekend so it sounds yeah. like it was transforming at a certain level right yeah. from the get-go yeah yeah it it really was i mean i definitely like many people got into it first on a really physical level you know at the time um you know i'd always been a flexible person so it was kind of fun to go into those classes with alicia and you know be able to almost do the splits and you know do back bends and things like that yeah. um so so in the beginning it was just you know just to realize i could do these things because you know i'd always been that kid that got made fun of in gym because i couldn't play team sports although i'd been pretty good in gymnastics um mm. but i you know didn't keep doing that so you know, that was really the way that I started to like it. But then, yeah, when Kundalini hit for me, um, it was realizing that there was this whole new level and depth that it could go. Um, and I just felt blissful after every class. You know, it, it really helped me at a time in my life when I was, you know, really distraught. And it kind of helped me to keep my center. And, and I'm sure that's, I can't really recall now, you know, how people are very revisionist with their histories. Um, you know, did I go to teacher training really thinking I was going to teach or did I just think, oh, I just want to go deeper. And, you know, I really, I feel like I was a little bit not sure when I went into it, but when I came out, um, I definitely wanted to do it. And one of the things I found very quickly is that you know, even, and, and I think a lot of teachers who, who really love yoga find this, even on those days when, oh, maybe I'm kind of tired or I don't feel too well, you know, and it's like, oh, I kind of wish I didn't have to teach class today. <laughs> Once I go in there and I see the class and I feel the group energy, I always feel great when I come out. Yeah, and, that, and that's one of the things that my uh, mentor, Shakta Dakar up in Chicago has has said that for us as teachers, um, even though we're not, you know, in that meditative state that the students get to be in during the class because their eyes are closed and everything and they're being led, um, you know, we get 80% of the benefits of the class even so. So that's been really, really nice for me over time. Yeah. And I think the only qualifiers that were present. Right, right. right. We're teaching <laughs> from a really grounded place. And I experienced that same thing where there's such a, there's a rewarding feeling after teaching a class 
that's different than when we take a class, but walking away, walking out of there, there's always a sense of, I'm so glad I showed up to teach. And I, I've never taught a class and not felt some sense of gratitude yeah. and appreciation for the, sort of the honor of being the person to hold the space, but also there's an energetic that comes from that interaction. Mm -hmm. And I think it has a lot to do with this sort of sense of really being present, tapping into that, you know, sort of drinking from the well of yoga history and energy and, mm -hmm. and uh, sharing that with, from a place of, the word that keeps coming to my mind is like this in a grounded sense of stability and intention. And I don't know, do you have a little routine before you teach a class that helps you kind of get centered or grounded? Well, we do have the teacher's oath um, that we uh, can do, which is, well, you, nobody who's listening to this can really see it, but so it's like this. I am not a woman. I am not a man. I am not a person. I am not myself. I'm a teacher. And, and that oath is supposed to help us to realize that we are a channel for these teachings. Um, in Kundalini Yoga, um, there's this lineage that just goes back from way back when, I mean, you know, way before the common era. Um, and it's been taught in secret um, until, you know, really in the 1960s is when, you know, it wasn't taught in secret anymore. But, but the thing that makes it different from some other types of yoga is, although there's a lineage, um, we don't we don't get initiated like in some lineages you are initiated mm -hmm. into it uh, we are supposed to self-initiate so we're supposed to just do the practice and you know try to get more and more subtle over time and initiate ourselves um, but but it's kind of interesting because you know if you take it on a continuum you know from the physical the purely physical which is kind of where I started out with my vinyasa all the way to to the spiritual you can kind of be anywhere on that continuum with with kundalini yoga uh, one of the things is i mean we have a lot of strong kriyas and meditations and a, and a kriya you know for those who don't know what it is is a series of exercises that are designed to achieve a specific effect um, which differentiates it from hatha yoga where a lot of times um, a kriya is considered to be one of the purification practices mm -hmm. but anyway so we can do really strong yoga it could be almost like a boot camp um, you know for people who really want to go there uh, to, you know, all this meditation on the other end where you're really trying to get in touch with spirit and you're trying to connect. So um, there's a little something for everyone in it, unless you're somebody who wants to do the same thing every week, then probably not. Yeah. People tend to like it or hate it. Um, you don't see so many people who are neutral about it. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. At least that's been my experience. Although I've had people who who say, oh, I tried Kundalini Yoga about, you know, 15 years ago and I just hated it. And But I don't know why I came to your class today, but it's like, I like it now. Mm. And I don't know. 
there's things in it that kind of poke and provoke people. Um, you know, sometimes the energy knots are just unraveling in, in somebody's, you know, energetic field and, and it's bringing up bad memories or traumas or dramas or commotions that, you know, they'd long forgotten about and maybe would have preferred not to think about. Mm. And so, you know, those feelings can be kind of, you know, uncomfortable. And so they may be like, oh, I didn't like that class. It, it brought up some things. Yeah. So that happens sometimes for people. Well, I think with the name Kundalini, it speaks to you're going to bring up some energy <laughs> if you're doing it correctly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Well, what's the, um, so the gong, I've experienced your Kundalini class many times and and the gong meditations and then when i've been visiting other cities i've dropped into a like a kundalini class and there's always a gong mm -hmm. um, so how does that how does that flow with the philosophy of teaching? well it it kind of brings us to yogi bhajan who um his full name was harbhajan singh khalsa and um He's the one who brought Kundalini Yoga to the West uh, in the late 60s. And one of the things that Yogi Bhajan always said is that every Kundalini Yoga studio or every Kundalini Yoga ashram should have a gong. And, um, you know, he had a gong, I think in the early years, um, maybe it, I've seen some of the videos. I, I don't think it was the symphonic gongs like what we have today, but um because it sure looked like a Wuhan or a, or a Chinese gong to me. But anyway, whatever kind of gong he had, he, he, would, he would always do that in his classes. And I think the idea is, you know, you're, you're shaking up the energy. Like, you know, in the normal format of a class, you're going to come in, you have your opening invocation, and then you do a little bit of breath work, and then you do a Kriya, which is, you know, usually a physical series of exercises. And then you lay down and you relax. Um, and this is before the final meditation. And oftentimes, um, assuming there is a gong, um, it's played during the relaxation. And that shakes up the energy. Um, it resonates with people's energies. You know, you've already been moving the energy around during the physics, the physical part of it. Mm -hmm. And then it starts to resonate. It starts to harmonize. It starts to kind of smooth it out for people. And by the time the gong is over, um, people are in a really good place to meditate. I mean, honestly, the gong will induce spontaneous meditation um, for many people. Sometimes it induces sleep as well. You know, when people are laying down, a lot of times people will fall asleep. It just gets really relaxing for right. them. But, but yeah, it puts them in a place where, where they're in a great place to meditate. And so at the end of every Kundalini yoga class, we have you know, anywhere from three to 11 minutes of meditation. Um, and they're all different, but the gong really helps for that. Mm. So you made me remind me of something when you mentioned earlier, you have over 8,000 meditations that you've mm -hmm. been taught to teach. So how do you know what meditation to do each week or each class or how do you, uh, is it an intuitive sense or is there some methodology behind that? Well, there's a lot of different ways to do it. Um, it normally, I'm setting up a series. So I might have the chakra series where we're going to go from the root all the way up to um, the crown and then the aura. We 
in Kundalini Yoga, we actually recognize an eighth chakra, which is the aura. Mm -hmm. And um, so then I'll find a Kriya for the root, and then I'll try to find, you know, because the chakra is about, you know, self self worth and being comfortable in one's skin, that sort of thing. And sometimes anger could be one of the shadow emotions of that. I'll try to find something that works on that. And mm -hmm. we have we have a lot more meditations than we have kriyas. So um, the Kundalini teachers, we have a lot of books. And uh, today we have a resource that wasn't available when I was first starting, and it's called the Yogi Bhajan Library of Teachings. Mm -hmm. And it's on the internet, and it's free. I mean, you have to have an account to go there, um, but it's a free account. And you can go there and you can find Kriyas, you can find meditations, and you can see all of these amazing um, lectures by Yogi Bhajan. Some of them are audio. And some of them um, are video because very early on his students started to record him. Um, you know, I imagine back in the day it was three quarter inch videotape <laughs> or something like that, maybe even something more ancient than that. Um, and for years they transcribed these recordings. And my my first teacher, Mahan Kalpa Singh. Um, because he's an audio engineer down in Bloomington, um, he was very instrumental in taking all these old audio tapes and you know trying to get the sound as polished as it could be so that they could put it on the internet. And, and it's kind of interesting because this project began so early on um, that you know it wasn't so easy to get this stuff on the internet at that time. But by the time they'd gotten all of the audio good and the video good, the internet and all of the tools that we had had gotten to a point where they could just throw it up on the internet and it's very nicely cataloged now. Oh, nice. And you know, you can do all the kinds of searches, you know, the and or not type of searches mm -hmm. so that you can go through, I mean, Yogi Bhajan, he taught for over 30 years and he rarely taught the same thing twice. And so everything is indexed. So it, it's pretty cool. You can go search for all this stuff. I, I will check that out. And just <laughs> a little uh, note for our listeners, I'll put that information in the podcast notes later. So you can, if you want to check it out, sounds like it's a very interesting resource for sure. Um, so you started teaching and then what, inspired you to advance your training i know you've done a lot of trainings and yeah you said you're level three which that's like quite an endeavor to get there in kundalini yeah, it really is it takes many many years to get to level three um if you were going as fast as you could it would take at least five and a half years um so i think the main reason that i took so much training is that when I started, you know, I had just gone to New Mexico and I'd gone through this intensive thing. I mean, it was so intense in our training that if we fell asleep after Shavasana, they said, don't wake them up. If they, if they don't, if they fell asleep in Shavasana and we start teaching again, don't wake them up. They really need it. Uh, but then I found myself, I, I was pretty much in my head um, back then. I, it's one of the big things for me is to try to not be in my head. Mm -hmm. 
And I kept worrying about, well, what did I miss? And because this uh, technology is so broad and so deep, I was pretty insecure about, well, you know, if the instructions in the book are ambiguous, you know, I didn't really have anybody I could go to to, to say, you know, well, is it this or is it that? So I, as soon as they started doing level twos, um, I started going to them because I found that it took me so much deeper. Um, the level twos, there, there's five modules, there's six days a piece. You know, back when I was doing it, it was usually six days at a time. And sometimes they're in really nice places like uh, Tulum, Mexico. Uh -huh. I took one there. Uh, nice. <laughs> Ojo Caliente yeah. in New Mexico, which was hot springs. I got to take one there. Uh -huh. um, I took the rest up in Chicago. But I felt like I felt so much more confident after I got that additional training because, um, you know, it's pretty much been Carla and I. I mean, there's other people who've gone through training here, but there haven't been many people who've been doing the classes, you know, on a regular basis. Um, so, it, so it's just really nice to kind of have that extra depth. And then I had to wait for a few years for level three. I, I wanted to keep going, but uh -huh. level three wasn't done yet. And it, you know, I'm normally the kind of person that when I try to decide something, I'm just sort of, I'm really analytical. I, yeah, I work with computer technology, by the way. <laughs> so I'm always weighing the pluses and the minuses and trying to decide. And I'm a Libra, so sometimes I have a little trouble deciding. But when they announced that level three was there, it was just like, I mean, I signed up that day. You know, it was in January and it was going to be in June of 2016. Okay. So the um, first day I signed up. <laughs> so that was one of those things where, I don't know, it's just called. I was just called to do it. Um, and I really found it, I didn't really even know what it was in the beginning. And, and a lot of people who are in Kundalini Yoga still don't know what level three is because, you know, there's this idea that somebody certifies you or somebody qualifies you. Uh, you go, they give you the knowledge, you take the knowledge, and then they give you a certificate. You can put it on your wall or you can use it, whatever. Mm -hmm. And that's what level two and level one are. But for level three, the idea is that we self-actualize, you know, we work as a peer group to decide, you know, what is it that we need to work on as individuals? And so it was really great for me because we were all putting um, groups that we had to meet every month for the course of the three years that we have for level three. I mean, there were other things that we had to do as well. We had to do service. Um, we also had to take this course called 21 Stages of Meditation. Uh, but the peer groups were such a big piece of it. And my peer group, they've become my best friends. And two of them are in Bangkok. One is in Peru. One is in Saltillo, Mexico. One's in New Hampshire. And then here I am in Indianapolis. And, you know, we meet... Monday nights, once a month, and we've been doing this since 2016. So like a Skype, yeah. Skype or Zoom or something, okay. Yeah, we're mirrors for each other. You know, we talk about, you know, sometimes, sometimes it's about things that are going on in somebody's life. I mean, we've had people get divorced, have babies, you know, have deaths in the family throughout this. Sometimes we're studying together. Sometimes we're mirrors for each other. We try to work on our shadow sides. Uh, so a lot of the things that um, 
you know, we're supposed to know more about in Kundalini Yoga. Um, we kind of practice together. Yeah. So I don't know if I answered the question. I forgot what the question was. <laughs> well, we were just talking about training, and and it's interesting. You said level three just came out, or as soon as it came out, you signed up. Was that something that's new to the teachings of Kundalini in the West, or was it something that's only offered at a specific interval of time? No, um, I mean, some of Yogi Bhajan's... Um, First students, uh, you know, the directors of training and the Kundalini Research Institute were involved in putting it together. I mean, you know, they'd all been talking about the knowledge for a really long time, but after he died um, in 2004, which was, you know, right after I finished my training, um, you know, he had talked to some of the... Um, he talked to some of the people and said, hey, you know, I want you to do this. I want you to do that. And it just took a long time to put all of the trainings together. And um, and then there was a lot of peer review involved. Because, you know, when you have a tradition like this, and so much of Kundalini Yoga is centered about around what Yogi Bhajan brought, um, you know, he was trained in a tradition that was secret. But when he got here, he just said... Um, you know, I'm going to give this to people because, you know, we're living in a time when these technologies are so important that it, we, they really need to be free. You know, it's not like only the worthy should get, you know, this training like or only the upper class in this society um, should be able to have these trainings. I mean, everybody should be able to have these trainings and we're going to need them, you know, in the future. I mean, he really predicted the information age. Uh, and it's kind of funny because I can remember he, I used to listen to his lectures and he'd be talking about you know how oh someday you know any knowledge you need you're just going to know in a few seconds anything you need to know mm -hmm. and i always thought that meant we were going to become so psych psychically astute <laughs> <laughs> that we were going to know this knowledge but i mean he was saying this stuff back in the 70s in the early 70s you know he i mean he really kind of predicted the way we use the internet and all our personal devices today um so, yeah. Very visionary. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really, he was. And, um, yeah, I'm not sure uh, if I got to the point of that one either. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fine. Well, so the Kundalini Institute, is that in New Mexico? I, I haven't done my research on Kundalini. Yeah, the Kundalini Research Institute is the certification authority for Kundalini teachers. And they have an office right there um, in New Mexico, right by the ashram, which is, uh, I don't know if it's specifically in Española or if it's in what's known as Santa Cruz, but, you know, they're all kind of there together about about 25 minutes northwest of Santa Fe. Um, and uh, so... There's there's another organization known as 3HO, which is the Healthy, Happy, Holy organization that puts on all of the big events. Um, so they have winter solstice and summer solstice. Um, and you'll have 2,000 yogis will, will come to Española and go on top of this big mountain and hang out, camp out for like eight days at a time. Um, and there's lessons during this time. And then they have three days of what's known as White Tantra, where um, it's a big group meditation experience. It's a giant 
giant tents and everybody sits sits there across from a partner kind of like you and me i mean their knees are like maybe three inches apart mm -hmm. um everybody's wearing white white head coverings white from head to toe and these lines they're you know 50 people long um and then you meditate for 31 minutes or 62 minutes at a time. Mm -hmm. And the group energy is so powerful and so strong. And it's used to clean you out on a very, very deep subconscious level. And they'll do that for three days. Wow. So it'll be about, you know, from maybe 8.30 in the morning till 6.30 at night with, you know, 20 minute breaks in between the meditations and maybe you know, an hour for lunch. Mm -hmm. um, but the energy is incredibly powerful. And some of the things that you do, um, people don't really think they could do. Like we might be, I have to visualize this and I have to put it into words. So I'm standing here with my arms at a 60 degree angle and Dave, put your arms up at a 60 degree angle. Okay. Maybe we're gonna touch our middle finger together. This is one of the meditations. There might be a chant. We have to stare in each other's eyes for 62 minutes <laughs> like this. And we're chanting perhaps um, a, a sacred mantra. And you know, you think your arms are gonna fall off. <laughs> um, but what happens is the energy is so strong that people realize that they can do things they didn't even think they could do. And so that goes to one of the key tenets of Kundalini Yoga, which is trying to learn how to master your mind. Because when you realize you were able to do something like that, and, and they're all different. I mean, some of them are really easy, but some of them are really hard. But you realize you could do that for three days in a row and your arms did fall off and you come out just feeling like you're riding on a cloud and you start to realize how much your mind just limits you every single day. You know, every time you say, I can't, well, you could if you wanted to. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a whole lot of, and, and a lot of that is what we learn in level two. We learn about mind and meditation. You know, we learn about, you know, the ways that we limit ourselves in many different, in many different fashions. But, um, but yeah, that's that's what uh, some of the big events are. So 3HO, Healthy, Happy, Holy Organization, puts on those big events, and then Kundalini Research Institute certifies teachers. Uh -huh. I mean, they do a lot more than that. Um, you know, there's been a lot of research that's gone on, um, and uh, but but the certification is one of the really big things that they do. And there's been, I don't know how many teachers there are. Uh, when I was in our level three meetings back in 2016, they said there was over 20,000 people who've been through teacher training so far globally. Wow. So it's 2019 now. I'm sure there's more. I don't know how many more. And wasn't some of the early sort of strongholds of Kundalini in San Francisco or on the West Coast? You know? Yeah, there was a lot. Um, Yogi Bhajan started teaching in L.A. Okay. So um, there was a whole lot in L.A. And one of the most famous teachers, Gurmukh, um, she was one of his first students. And she had a really big studio called Golden Bridge there for, for many, many years. Um, the early ashrams... Uh, I know there was one in LA, there was one in Phoenix. Um, there's still an ashram in Kansas City. Yeah. But the main ashram that you know everybody goes back to is uh, Española or okay. Santa Cruz, New Mexico. But then there were a lot of people in Germany as well. So um, 
so there was a, there's a very big uh, Kundalini yoga organization, you know, in Europe as well. And mm-hmm. in the last ten years, you know, they've been really getting a lot of people in Asia. So yep. hence, hence my sisters and my small group are in Bangkok. Ah, very good. <laughs> well, it's interesting. I'm curious on Gurmukh's influence on as yoga expanded in America, and and that. I was listening, I was actually reading Sean Korn's book she just published back in September, and she was talking about the early days of yoga works, and, and she was teaching there and teaching a whole bunch, and, and Gurmukh would come down and visit some of her classes or mm-hmm. some of the classes there and go back. I, I believe the center was open at the time, so... Mm-hmm. Um, so she seemed like she was a big and pretty amazing t- teacher in person and and very um, drawn to yoga and all its forms and sharing the teaching. So, yeah, Gurmukh has a very interesting story and she has a book out um, called the, the Eight Human Talents. I, I think that's the name of it. And it's a beautiful book about the chukras. Um, and she is a comp- very dynamic teacher. Uh, I've been able to study with her when I went to India um, in 2008 and 2013. I've only been twice. Um, And both times I went to the International Yoga Festival while I was there. And every day she would teach for two hours on the tarmac by the Ganga. Uh, And there'd be like 300 people, you know, that she'd be teaching. And and it would be so interesting because all these monks would come and watch us and watch her while she was teaching us. Mm-hmm. And we'd be doing all these strange kundalini yoga things. Um, and she is not a teacher that is for the faint of heart. <laughs> I mean, she'd really make you keep your arms up in the air for 11 minutes or something like that. Yeah. So she was a little closer to white tantra than, you know, some of the people who, you know, prefer to do it more gently. I mean, we can really take our classes anywhere from very beginning, very gentle, very sweet, no mantra, all the way to something really hard. But she had a really good way of incentivizing us to just keep going. Yeah. And and I really loved her classes. It was so fun to go there because her husband would do sadhana. And so sadhana is our early morning spiritual practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's usually between, you know, anywhere from 3.30 in the morning until maybe 7 a.m., depending on the angle of the earth to the sun. Um, but her husband would do the two and a half hour sadhana. Um, and uh, so I could go to sadhana and then... I could have my breakfast and then go take class with Gurmukh for two hours. I was getting four and a half hours of Kundalini yoga a day, and it was really wonderful. Yeah. So the sadhana for some of our listeners out there, I mean, I, is <clears throat> when you speak of his morning sadhana, was there an altar and incense and chanting or just a little elaboration on what his sadhana looked like? Well, it it, it is, I guess, technically it's an early morning spiritual practice. Um and there's a lot of different ways you can do it. So if you're a kundalini yogi and you're living in an ashram, you're going to probably be doing the Aquarian sadhana, which is it starts for 20 minutes with a sacred poem 
There, there may be an altar, there may not be, depending on where you are. Um, you start with this sacred poem called Japji that uh, goes all the way back to the days of Guru Nanak. Um, because Kundalini come, Yogi Bhajan was a Sikh. And uh, so he came from the Sikh tradition. So anyway, it starts with this beautiful poem that just sort of describes the nature of the universe. And then it moves on to a Kriya, which is what we always teach in class, the physical element. Mm -hmm. um, and different people will lead the Kriya. So it's not like you have a teacher, because this is the early morning spiritual practice that everyone participates in. Uh, so different people will take turns uh, leading the sadhana. And then there's 62 minutes of about seven different mantras. So people are just, their eyes are closed. They're chanting these mantras for 62 minutes. So altogether, it's about two and a half hours. And Yogi Bhajan always said, you know, if you tithe one-tenth of your day, the rest of the day, you'll just flow with the universe. No. So, uh, but, but for other people, you know, especially people who don't really have a group community, um, it can be anything. I always encourage the students, you know, who are coming through my classes to try to do something every day, even if it's just three minutes or, you know, seven minutes or 11 minutes is, would be ideal if you can do something daily. Because we have this concept of a 40-day sadhana um, or a 40-day kriya, I guess, is a better way of saying it. It doesn't have to be early in the morning, but do something. You know, just start to do something. So it's not just you're going to this class once a week and then like six days you're not doing anything. You start to be able to, this is one of the things you can think of Kundalini Yoga as a buffet if you're coming to a class. You come to the buffet and you sample all these different things that we do. Um, you know, sometimes we have moving meditations. Sometimes they're stationary. Sometimes we're chanting. Sometimes we're not. Sometimes we have what would look like a yin pose from the outside. Uh, if you come for 20 classes, you might start to get an idea of what kundalini yoga really is. But then you take something home and you do it every day, something you really want to work on. You know, maybe you have an anger problem and you have this amazing meditation you can do to release your inner childhood anger. And you do that for five or seven minutes a day and you do it for 40 days and you start to build a habit or, or, or get rid of something. Mm -hmm. You start to let these energetic knots, un, you know, unwind. Uh, so, so that could be your sadhana. And, you know, even if it's not early in the morning, it's still better to do something than to do nothing at all. Right. Yeah. Well, I know I've, I've had um, sadhanas as been very transformative and the key mm -hmm. is having that daily discipline right right and it seems like that's a a teaching in a lot of traditions that goes back centuries if not thousands of years of having a, not so much a ritual but a an early morning time that's dedicated to a practice mm -hmm. and then that becomes a vehicle of transformation absolutely well and then um, so it seems like Kundalini takes it up a notch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And one of the things we had to do for level three was to do a 31-minute meditation for a thousand days. Mm. So, um, you know, that's the kind of thing that we do. A as Kundalini teachers, we're supposed to have a sadhana. Now, it no. might not necessarily be two and a half hours a day. Um, 
you know, I think the people who have the time and the ability to do that are doing it. But the more time you're spending meditating, the greater benefits you're receiving. Mm -hmm. That that's you know something that you know everybody you know can see happening. Yeah. So the thirty-one minutes for a thousand days. But if you missed a day, do you have to start over? Yep, <laughs> you have yeah. to start over. So there's incentive. <laughs> I have actually been in the airport, <laughs> sitting on the floor, waiting for my plane, doing my sign before. <laughs> That's good. Now, because I didn't want to miss. <laughs> right. Well, and especially time changes and things like that. I and know. I've, you know, a meditation practice, and if you're on a 24-hour flight, it's like I don't want to miss a day, yeah. and and you're. You know, some well, and sometimes you double up. <laughs> sometimes you can do some things like, you know, if you're doing a chanting sadhana, well, maybe you're not chanting it as loud as you would if you're at home in mm. your own little room where you're not bothering anybody. But, you know, maybe you have your earbuds in and you're chanting very softly right. because there's enough ambient noise in the aircraft. You're probably not bothering your neighbor. Right. So I've done it sitting in the seats before, yeah, too. That's good. Now, did your did you say you traveled to India? It had nothing to do with Kundalini, okay. but um, I did go uh, to India twice with uh, Christine Jovanovich uh, and Sally Bassett oh, yeah, Brown. Yeah. Um, Sally, I went with in 2008, and I went with uh, Chris, Chris Jovanovich in uh, 2013. And we were going to Ramana's Garden, which is uh, this amazing orphanage in Rishikesh that's mm -hmm. uh run by a woman who um, originally was there to study with, you know, the same uh, yogi that the Beatles were studying with. Mm -hmm. And uh, something happened to her. Um, she lost her passport in a flood or something, and she ended up just staying there and founding this orphanage. Oh, wow. And uh, she, American? Yeah, I think or... she might. I don't know if she's American or British. I can't remember. Mm -hmm. But regardless, uh, she was English speaking and uh, she just ended up staying there. And so we were going on a, a service tour where part of it was to go to the International Yoga Festival and part of it was to go and work at the orphanage. Um, the second time we went, we put um, a computer lab in for the kids and the kids, um, a lot of them were the Dalits, the untouchables. Um, and uh, many of them had, you know, somehow been saved from, you know, horrible things that were happening in Nepal. Like, I don't really know exactly what happened, but they would like bar the doors and, you know, put people's houses on fire and stuff like that. Mm. Or, or, you know, young, you know, female, females who, you know, were put on trains and, you know, assaulted and somehow they got rescued and ended up in this orphanage. And, I mean, if you ever had to be in an orphanage, that was the orphanage to be in. It was the most amazing place. Mm, nice. It was beautiful. And, um, and and Rishikesh is a very magical town just in general. So, um, yeah, it, that's a great vacation to take. Um, so I highly recommend it. <laughs> nice, nice. Well, that's it's on my, uh, it's on my sort of bucket list. And, um, you know, one of our teachers from southern india and my wife annie's been over there and mm -hmm. uh, she loved the people and the experience and the, um, just the whole situation in southern india and she went off into uh, into tibet or to nepal to uh mount kailash and did mm -hmm. sort of a pilgrimage up there and Ooh. just it was just like it was a very 
uh, impactful experience. Oh, it sounds wonderful. Yeah. So I've got, I've got my uh, India on the on the vision board. Right there. Oh, nice! <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> so that's part of that. It's it's on the radar. And There's so many places to go. Too. Oh, there are. I mean, I love to travel and and love to find yoga wherever I go mm-hmm. and have that experience. So on the um, you mentioned earlier the Aquarian Academy. Mm-hmm. Is your intern there? And you know, what's all that entail? And how did you get plugged in? Well, um, the Aquarian Academy is what people go through if they want to become a trainer of Kundalini Yoga teachers. And um, it hasn't been as formal, except for maybe for the last 10 years, it's been more formal. Um, Because it used to be back in the day, Yogi Bhajan would have people, you know, in his, in the ashrams or wherever he was teaching. And, you know, he might be with them for you know, a couple months and then he'd just say, go teach in Alaska or go teach in Germany. Um, But, you know, as time went on and and more people were attracted to this technology, it got more and more formal. And so, you know, this is run by um, the Kundalini Research Institute. And um, to become a trainer, uh, there's various levels. So as an intern, um, I'm just going to a lot of level ones with my mentor who's up in Chicago. And I'm just kind of going through the same thing over and over and over again, you know, just to really, really get it because they don't want to let anybody out to train teachers unless we're doing it correctly uh, because we're not supposed to modify the teachings at all. Because the thing about the teachings is we're working with really powerful energy. Yogi Bhajan used to say, um, you're working with the energy of the atom. Um, And if you, we're not supposed to just say, hey, here's this Kriya. Oh, I don't like this exercise in the middle. I think I'll do something different. Like that is a real no-no. So, um, and we're also learning about how to teach it. I mean, there's no way you're going to memorize over 8,000 Kriyas. So you have to learn the principles of motion, you know, the principles of of how to teach. And we have to learn the mantras Mm -hmm. and how to speak them properly. So, um, so then, you know, you, so you're an intern for a couple of years and then you graduate to become an associate and that can take a few years. Um, and it's all about content credits and bench hour credits. And then after a while you become a professional and some people never go any further than that. Some people never go any further than associate, I guess. And then you can become a lead. So the whole process could take anywhere from, you know, six to 12 years, probably, um, mm-hmm. And I've been uh, in the academy for two years. So my goal is to someday have a teacher training here in Indianapolis. Um, You know, I'm hoping in 2022, I won't be a lead by any means, but I'll bring a lead trainer in and, you know, we'll find a place and we'll have a training here. Mm, I know a place. (laughs) Yeah. But do you have like a whole weekend we can do it? (laughs) Oh, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. (laughs) That's what we do with... um, our our uh, 200 hour we do we have three weekend intensives that's why you get kicked out of that room periodically yeah yeah <laughs> awesome the same with the 300 hour and th- well then maybe we can have it here yeah but um yeah no we we're always since we're a school we we encourage chinese of different uh-huh. s- styles and lineages as you all know and and that's part of what i love about my role here is to facilitate the 
practice of yoga through the lens of these different styles. Mm -hmm. And whether it's kundalini or vinyasa or if it's hot or if it's a, a yen yoga, you know, there's so many different aspects yeah. to And city yoga has so many different ones here. I mean, you know, we really do have a wonderful array of offerings here. Yeah. Yeah. And that's and and that's part of part of my mission is to keep that keep that alive was mm -hmm. what Nikki intended when she started in two thousand and two was to serve the breadth of the population mm -hmm. and offer different styles so people could come and find what resonated with them and and be a part of a community. Mm -hmm. So and you've been a part of that for 15 years, which is pretty awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's really amazing. I mean, I'm so happy I haven't had to, you know, leave my class and go find somewhere else to do it. Like I yeah. see other people, you know, like they get kicked out of their spaces and stuff. I'm so grateful yeah. that I've been able to keep this class all this time. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, I mean, that, that happens where spaces come and go, but we've been fortunate to have, you know, a decent landlord that's, you know, wants us here. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Nikki hopped around a few different locations before landing here 10 years ago. So maybe a little more, about 10 years ago now, a little more maybe. But um, that's where, um, and it feels like uh, the longer you practice in the same space, the more energy that kind of accumulates there. Mm -hmm. And part of that is building a community around that. And that's what I love about like your class. There'll be teacher, there'll be students that come every week. Yeah. You know, and they have for years. And I you know I um, took over here in 2012. And that's seven years. Seven, <laughs> going on eight next year. And there's been people I see, I've seen ever since then that showing up maybe not every week but i'll see them and they're here for diane's kundalini class and yeah it's and it's been fun to watch it over the years how it kind of comes and goes like people might come five or six years and then one day they're not here anymore but then somebody else comes and takes their place and it's been interesting to watch it ebb and flow mm -hmm. one of the things i've i've seen is a lot of times once people go to their own teacher training, you know, after their train they go because then they go off to start teaching somewhere and then maybe they don't come to class as mm -hmm. much. But it's always like a big reunion when they come back for gong night or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Well, and you may not be aware of this, but I'll share it with you that I've been in, you know, more than one class here taught by a, you know, like a vinyasa class. And they will do a certain type of breathing or they'll do something that they learned in your kundalini class. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they'll be rocking back and forth, doing rock and rolls, maybe. <laughs> yeah. So they'll say, we did this in kundalini with Diane. And, I, you know, that's really cool. I want to share it. Or they've been practicing it and they, you know, were ready mm -hmm. to, to uh, share that with the students. And I always, always think about, oh, yeah, I should get to the kundalini more often and see what's going on over there. Because... You know, yeah, that's a, I mean, it's a powerful experience and the group energy. And you reminded me of something earlier, the power of meditation. So I know I probably shared with you in the past, I, I came to yoga through meditation. Mm -hmm. um, 
I'd been meditating since my early 20s and, you know, it was early 40s where someone was like, hey, you're training for a marathon. You should try yoga for stretching. And uh -huh. the first class I went to, there was definitely a meditative quality to it uh -huh. that part of me recognized there's a much deeper practice going on here than stretching, you know? Right. And yeah. so that was what drew me to yoga. And I'd gone down, I've been down many times to this ashram in Tennessee for Isha yoga. Mm -hmm. Saguru, it's got a, a pretty big complex down there. And there's this domed meditation space. And the meditations, when it's full, you know, there might be a thousand people or a hundred people, mm -hmm. how, depending on the event. And the power when there's that many people meditating together and his understanding of the energy. And it's, it's just an incredible, incredible experience that, um, and when you were talking about your experience with meditating across from someone mm -hmm. and, and uh, just that, that energy of, everyone working towards the same whether it's stillness whether it's chanting whether you know there's an there's a group energy and it makes me think about uh oh just people coming together in sync with each other mm -hmm. and there's a synchronicity that sort of that happens whether it's through the breathing or the heartbeat or the or the mantra or the stillness or some understanding of energy that's beyond me, that something happens that's very magical, that's very um, uplifting and energizing. And I always leave, if I go down there for three day or four day or five day program, mm -hmm. then you're riding on this wave of energy for you know, maybe the whole next week or, you know, there's a, yeah. and it, where does that come from? Uh, yeah. You're tapping into the source, you yeah. know, <laughs> you really are. Yeah. And I, and I think that, that all of us have that ability to tap into that source within us. And, and my goal is to try to be, be able to tap into that here without mm -hmm. having to go to the big group. And I think that's kind of what happens when we, the longer we teach, the longer we practice, the more discipline we have around a sadhana, that it's at some level fine-tuning that energy so it's more accessible, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And um, so, I mean, that's why I love that and that's why I was looking forward to talking to you today because yeah. I know like you're in deep with the energy and the power of the Kriyas and the chancing and the, the, whole, the whole package, if you will. Um, yeah, and it, it, a lot of it, you know, comes through the the nod, you know, the um, sound current as well, because our opening mantra um, is what kind of opens up a channel for us. So, like, when I was first in training, I felt very insecure because unlike, there were all these Reiki masters in my class, and I was like, I don't see energy. Uh, I don't see it. I don't feel it. I'm really dense in my body. If you get into numerology and things like that, it's like my numbers are like I'm dense in my body. I'm okay. never going to see, never going to feel it. But I do intuit it and it flows through me. Mm. So it still works. And and I used to go up to my teachers and say, uh, is it okay if I don't see it? Is it okay if I don't feel it? 
And they're like, oh yeah, it works regardless of whether you can do that or not. You know, maybe that's not your gift, but you know, your gift is something else, but it flows through you no matter what. And these Kriyas work no matter what. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was thinking as you were talking about, you know, group energy, group energy is such a big thing. And, you know, I've noticed we, we've been lately at work, we've been doing all these um, meditations and we have meditation guides who do it at lunchtime and they do it in the conference rooms, but they also do it on Skype. And so people like in other campuses or people who work from home can dial in and I've tried it and it works over the phone mm. lines it, or the the air or whatever. The I mean, waves, yeah. I don't even know how it works, but I feel that group energy coming mm. over the Skype sessions. Mm. And I don't know if it's just the power of positive thinking or if, if it's really the energy, you really are all connected. So when you see these group meditations where maybe on World Peace Prayer Day or something and everybody is all over the world, they're all meditating at the same time, mm. you know, trying maybe to meditate for something specific, you know, like to save the earth, for example, would be a good one. Um, I do believe that that works. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, several years ago, the United Nations declared June 21st the International Day of Yoga. Mm-hmm. So, which sparked well it was already the, the spark had already been lit but for monumental yoga on june 21st right. and now the solstice summer solstice is around then as well but sometimes it's the 22nd or some you know but the intention for that event we just early on the organizers had a conversation like should it always be on the 21st international day of yoga mm-hmm. or move with the little variants depending on the cycle of the moon or the, or the sun for uh-huh. the solstice. And we decided the 21st honoring that international day of yoga and the power behind people coming together on that day worldwide. And there's practicing yoga together. It's a little different than meditating together, but is it really? I don't know. So this it's power- It's a moving meditation. Right. So you have <laughs> communities coming together all over the world on the same day with a- intention around connection and peace and loving kindness and and, and community yeah, yeah exactly so that's i um yeah I, I love that about the yoga community and and the spiritual practice that you recognized wasn't there at your first yoga class like there's i thought something spiritual was going on and uh, it sounded like i know for me that was my quest as well like the underlying um, dimensions of this physical practice. And um, I know in the West, we can get so caught up in the physical, the shape of the body and the, the, the workout or the intensity. And, you know, Kundalini is, is clearly going to resonate at a, a different level. I mean, there's the physicality of it, but there's, the teachings that you give, I think are pretty powerful. Um, when you, there's a philosophy in every class. Yeah. yeah. And, and touch on that a little bit. Well, yeah, it, it's, it's been interesting to, to theme the classes and 
I might talk a little too much. I mean, we're really supposed to not talk. So this is one of the things I'm learning now that I'm in the academy, that we're not supposed to talk so much as a teacher when we have the people in the class. We're supposed to let them have their experience. We're just supposed to keep it down to a uh, maybe, you know, a little intro paragraph, a little a little explanation of what you're doing in between, but not so much. But I'm so interested in the technology. I tend to teach... Um, my regular students, <laughs> a lot more about what's happening in the classes and, you know, a lot more about, you know, well, this is operating on the meridian, you know, lung and heart meridians in your arms. Because one of the things I think people really do wonder when they're in these classes is, well, I'm doing something where I'm clapping my hands for, for three minutes. Like I'm just clapping my fingers. And, you know, after a while, your, your fingers start to really hurt, you know. It's kind of hard to keep going. You know, so part of that's operating on your mind. Part of that's operating on your meridians because, you know, the meridians are actually terminating in your fingers. So, mm -hmm. you know, you're very directly stimulating those meridians with that. Yeah. Um, so I can remember... Um, one year we did the catharsis series in here. I don't know if you remember that or if that mm -hmm. was before you came in, but um, we had we have a lot of kriyas that are pretty unusual. Um, there's this one called the ghost kriya where you've got your arms and you're moving your arms and figure eights out in front of you for a really long time. And, and it's a guided meditation. As your arms are moving, you are imagining that you're flying higher and higher and higher out of the Earth's atmosphere and over the Himalayas and through deserts and things like that. And um, I can remember how that affected me the first time I ever was, you know, being taught at that class and um, or that Kriya. And when it was over, I couldn't stop moving my spine in this figure eight. I mean, I really felt the energy. And, you know, this is for me, this very dense physical person who doesn't normally feel energy. Uh -huh. That one really got to me more than anything else. And, and that was one of the reasons that I took that and put that into the catharsis series, which also had a whole lot of gong in it because just trying to dig up a lot of the old subconscious stuff mm. and, and let it out for people. Yeah. I, think, I feel like I ought to do that. I had to do that workshop again. Yeah. I, it's it's I was three. Just thinking that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's three. It's only like three Thursday nights or something like that. Yeah, we should do that. We should get that on the books for in the spring <laughs> or something. But um, well, I did have one other question. How did your study with Dharma Mitra fall into all this? Well, I think a lot of it came out of my insecurity of kind of being, you know having finished my training and being here and teaching and not necessarily knowing the right way to do the poses and the postures. Mm. Um, you know, I felt like I would be a little more comfortable, um, especially when some of them are difficult if I knew more. And, but there was another thing that happened and, and this had to do with wanting to know a living master because I never met Yogi Bhajan. Uh -huh. I mean, I was in New Mexico while he was dying in 2004, um, and I never got to meet him. Uh, we thought we were going to several times, but it didn't happen. So uh, I had gone to a yoga journal conference in 2011 um, in San Diego, and he was teaching um, 
it was a class that wasn't physical. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people kept walking out because, you know, he's known for his postures. He's the one who did the 900 and 908 yoga postures or it's, something, that big poster that we have out there. In the hallway, yeah. Yeah. And um, so a lot of people were coming in for the, for I guess this was a Dharma talk, uh, and they kept leaving. And he started talking about, I don't know, it was something from the yogic scriptures. And it was a lot of words I'd never heard before. Um, and yet, it was like the words were burrowing right into my heart. And I didn't know these terms, and yet I knew what he was saying at mm. this very, very visceral level. And I started crying. And after that happened, it was sort of like, I think I want to go take some classes with him. And at the time, I had just finished my level twos, and level three wasn't on the horizon yet. So in 2013, I went and I took five, well, back then they call it 500-hour training. It would be 300-hour training now. Um, And I went and I took that in New York City uh, with him. So it was uh, two eight-day sessions uh, with him. And that was powerful to study with him. Um, And I do believe he is a living master. Mm. It was... um, a lot of physical yoga. He doesn't really like to teach the physical yoga too much anymore. Um, I mean, that's what he's known for. And his students, um, you know, when they got this really big yoga studio that they they had that I visited, you know, I think it was on 23rd Street. Um, they were like, well, you've got to keep teaching the physical yoga because that's what people come to you for. But he had gotten to an age, I mean, he's almost 80 now. And back then he was like 75. Um, he got into an age where he really wanted to teach pranayama and psychic development and teach the scriptures mm-hmm. and really get into the subtler forms of yoga. Uh, so what he did basically is he had his senior teachers, you know, teach the postures. Now he would still do this thing they call the maha sadhana. And he, you know, he'd have a whole bunch of people in this studio and he would participate. And, and at the time, I mean, he could still stand on his head with no hands. Mm-hmm. And this was in, <laughs> this was in 2013. But I think the reason he can do that is his head is very flat. Well, <laughs> <laughs> like it's a strong core. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, people don't realize it, but he's Brazilian. He's not, he's not from India. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, a lot of people went on to uh, do the 800 hour with him. And I think that's when we would have had more personal time with him. Um, I guess there were 40, 42 people in our class. And, you know, so we didn't really get personal time with yeah. him, but um, I wouldn't trade it for the world. It, mm-hmm. it was a really wonderful experience. And I got so strong back then and so flexible because we were doing so much yoga every day that I finally got my legs behind my head. Yeah. I haven't been able to do it since. <laughs> Well, and I remember you had to do certain teach. You had to teach a lot of it here yes. as you were going through it. And we yeah. had some special <laughs> workshops and different classes. And- yeah, and I was doing a lot of it by substituting for existing <laughs> teachers, which sometimes people weren't so happy because it was pretty strong yoga, maybe a little stronger than they were expecting. But yeah. um, it was a good way. It was a good way to uh, get through that. Um, I think I had to do something like. 22 classes something like that mm-hmm. 22 classes of or 12 of level two and 12 of level three i think is what it was okay. so yeah 
That was that was fun though. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Thank yeah. you for letting me do that here. Yeah, well, I was intrigued by it, and I thought you know, there was a lot of rigor built in around that training. And, uh, yes, and I mean there was a big sadhana too. Um, we were doing about two hours and fifteen minutes a day for four months, and there was a raw food diet that went with it as well. Mm -hmm. I don't know if they still do that, um, but we had to be vegan. We had to eat raw. Um, pretty much a smoothie in the morning, a salad at lunch, eat everything before five o'clock in the afternoon, and. Um, but he gave us cheat days. Yeah. So, you know, you could eat or drink something you normally wouldn't like. You could have a cup of coffee and that would count as one. Uh -huh, that's funny. <laughs> so we had like six cheat cheats a month. Yeah. Well, and that's, I mean, I recognize some of that teaching is just, it's about your energy. Right? Yes. And, and yes. they want to keep your energy as, as clean as possible through diet. And, and at the time I, I started having people coming to my classes, like more people were coming, because I was really, really diligent about my sadhana at that time. Um, you know, I, like everybody who works a whole lot, you know, we, we tend to go up and down, but I started attracting students at that time. I mean, there was, I can remember one day, like 20 students walked in, I was like, what's going on here? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like hot yoga where you can expect 30 or 40. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, you never know because the yoga world is continually to evolve and change. And and I think it's like an exciting time to be a yoga teacher right now. And and you're kind of bridging, your experience is bridging that, that wave of the 90s, you know, into now the 2020s coming up. Yeah. And that's where, you know, I... I got into yoga in the early 2000s, but didn't really get into teaching until 10, maybe nine, 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. So um, it's changed a lot, hasn't it? Just in that short amount of time has, yeah. has changed. And the, uh, um, you know, it seems like the Kundalini lineage has stayed pretty strong and all these and other different traditional styles of yoga have had their fair share of drama where the maybe it's a guru was acting wrong or there was a, it, it uh, splintered. I mean, different, different things have happened. Yeah. In we the worried last... that would happen, you know, when he died, yeah. but the, the people who were remained behind were just really, really dedicated to yeah. making sure that these teachings stayed out in the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and so that's a, it speaks a lot to the practice and the tradition, for sure. Yeah. Um, well, I, I did want to talk about some of your events, but first, what is there anything you want to talk about that I have, we haven't delved oh, into? We talk yet? about the gongs a oh, little yes. bit. Yes, <laughs> I love the gongs, and I know you love the gongs. <laughs> oh, do I love the gongs? I'll tell you. You know, I was up in a level two in Chicago. We were in um, a place where where nuns live. Um, and, uh, it was called the cynical and our, my teacher every day, she said, well, this gong, they would play the gong at lunchtime or after lunchtime. And it was really very beautiful. And then she would say, this gong is for sale. <laughs> <laughs> and after a while I started going up and trying to play it at lunchtime and I I just got so fascinated with it that I decided to buy it at the end of that training. And I can remember Phil, my partner was saying, um, why are you getting this gong? <laughs> like, 
really do you think you're going to do anything with that? And it's like, I, I think I'm gonna. I was kind of afraid of it, you know, for a little while. But then I started bringing it into class mm -hmm. and just bringing it in a little more and more. And, you know, gongs are pretty forgiving. Um, you know, if people don't ex have any expectations for them, you know, they kind of like, they either like them or they don't. Mm -hmm. You know, I'd say about, you know, 5% of people really hate the gong and, and most people really like them. I, I love the sound vibration, yeah. but I, I know there's always, if you have a 40 or 50 people in the room for the first time, there's going to be There's, there's going to be somebody that, that like, it really yeah, irritates. Like that, yeah. Well, some people who are musicians really want to have the tones resolve into something like a chord or mm -hmm. something that is musical. Um, some people who have hearing issues um, don't like it, or maybe they should have taken the hearing aids out before they came. Most people just really, really love the gong. Um, mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And... And I don't know why, but, you know, I ended up having four of them. <laughs> it took a while, but... Um, I this... remember each one of them. <laughs> As the new gong would come... I got a new gong. <laughs> yeah, Dave, we got to do a, a, a double gong workshop. Well, <laughs> and then I've got my favorite gong that I bring to every single workshop, every single event, if it's a gong event, you know, like the solstices and the equinoxes and... Um, the special events that we do. Um, but this one, I went down to um, the Memphis Gong Chamber w and took um, a, a gong camp with uh, Don Conroe, who okay. was one of Yogi Bhajan's original students. Um, and then he's kind of a real theatrical guy. So he kind of went in a different direction with it. But um, we had this opportunity to go into the gong chamber where there's just gongs all over the walls and up and some of them are so big they're like 80 inches and gongs coming out of the walls and try them and i think i irritated the guy who owns the place a little bit because i kept asking for more 34 inch gongs but when i found this one it was so special and everybody who plays it just agrees this one's so special um so you know, if anybody ever wants to get a gong, I highly recommend playing it first and making sure you like it. Just don't get it because it's cheap or used or something. Uh -huh. uh, but that one is at every event, and uh, that will be in some of the events that we have coming up. Okay. So. That's a good segue. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh December 21st, Saturday, uh, from 630 to 8 uh, here at City Yoga, um, we're going to have the traditional winter solstice uh, gong celebration. And normally that's a double gong. But this year, um, because I'm going to be on vacation over New Year's, I'm uh, bringing all four gongs to that one. And uh, it's really, really fun to be able to hear all four of the gongs at the same time. And uh, so the layout will be little extra long because, um, you know, normally it's about 20, 25 minutes, but it'll be more like 35, 40 minutes for the layout. Yeah. And then um, the meditations will take us, uh, the Kriya will take us through all of the chakras to clear them out. And then as always, we've got yogi tea and cookies yeah. and community time afterwards. So for our listeners that may not be familiar with the, um, well, with the solstice in general, What's the energetic behind doing the practice on that that day where the the uh, days are shifting? So this alignment of the planet and the sun and the moon, and so there's a 
What's the yeah, philosophy from your point of view? Well, I mean, I'm maybe not so into astrology or anything, but I, I just look at it like the longest nights of the year, the longest night of the year um, is such a good time for introspection. And I kind of like to break the year up, you know, in the equinoxes. So I always have the gong events on the equinoxes and the solstices and usually on New Year's and sometimes on Lately, I've been doing Black Friday um, <laughs> because I just kind of like to have a counterpoint to all that commercialism. Yes. Um, but yeah, yeah, I'm not so much into the astrology. I just, I just think it's a really nice marker just to kind of realize that hey, it's dark. It's a really good time to meditate. It's a really good time to go within during the winter months. You know, there's not quite so much activity. And you might even be able to start a sadhana in the early morning should you be up early. <laughs> but you can also, you know, the, the ambrosial hours are not just early in the morning. They're also at dusk. They're at dawn and at dusk. Basically, mm -hmm. they, they end at dawn and at dusk. So, you know, they start a little while before that. So that's the time that the earth is supposed to be at the angle of the sun that's conducive to meditation. And certainly in the early mornings, I mean, part of the reason I think is the rest of the world's not up. Yeah. And so it's, you know, nobody's going to bother you then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but one thing I wanted to say about the gongs and just sound healing in general, I've been um, participating in a lot of online forums and learning a lot about sound healing and, uh, you know, working with a lot of people who are really trying to get into it and kind of get beyond the hype. You know, there's a lot of hype behind like all these metal bowls and stuff. And it's like, oh, if it's got 14 metals, it's so much better. It's like, honestly... I, what what I'm learning as I'm starting to converse with all of these people who are really into it is that, yeah, there's frequencies, there's science behind it, but, you know, like having 14 metals in your bowl or your gong doesn't necessarily make it better. There's a lot of people are kind of taking these things and using it to sell things. Uh -huh. and And the way I look at it is it just needs to vibrate beautifully. It just needs to touch you in your heart. And... It, it doesn't necessarily have to be tuned to a certain, I'm not sure I believe that the chakra is all, or you know, this certain note Notes. is really this chakra. I, I'm not sure that's really true. Yeah. They say, they try to do the same thing with the planetary gongs, you know, it's tuned to this planet's frequency, yeah, maybe so. Mm -hmm. but, but really the way that I like to do it is, do I think it's beautiful? And do I think that it touches people? And if it does, I don't care whether it's Pluto or Neptune or 14 metal bowl or whatever. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, well, that's, I like that. And uh, it has to um, resonate with you so that you can resonate right. with others, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. Because the sound, the sound just, you know, a gong will resonate very many frequencies, especially these symphonic gongs mm -hmm. that um, I've been playing. And, you know, it resonates at frequencies outside of what we resonate at. So, yeah. you know, it, it just tends to shake up the energy in some way. Yeah. But, I, but I don't think we can be super scientific about, maybe someday we will know. Yeah. Yeah. Someday somebody will do double blind studies and we'll find out exactly what it does. Well, it just you might be interested. This is a, we just got this up. I might not even be up on the events calendar yet, but um, Larry Gendhart, who does music, and Lisa D, Lisa Darty, are going mm -hmm. to do a um, sound healing uh, workshop Ooh, involving 
sound healing and, and movement. Uh-huh. And that'll that's a collaboration between the two of them. Uh, I think the end of February, but um, and you have a Valentine's Day. Right. Uh, coming up. This is going to be the first time. Um, well, and one of the things I like to do with these gong evening events, it's always easy so that people can bring family and friends. So I don't do any of this hard stuff I've been talking about previously. But uh, this one will be about opening the heart. So it's not necessarily just couples. I mean, you know, people can just bring their friends and family and come, but it's all going to be about heart opening and the meditation and, and whatever the exercises are that we do will be to open the heart so that we can participate in, you know, the heart center, you know, the compassion and the unity that comes with the heart center. So yeah. that's what this one will be about. And it'll be on, I guess it's going to be on the 14th, Friday, which is a Friday, a Friday night. Yeah, well, that, That'll make a very heart opening weekend to kick it off with the gong the gong meditation friday and then um the aforementioned lisa darty and her husband brett are going to do the partner yoga a little candlelight partner yoga on saturday night the 15th so yeah it's going to be hard month at city yoga that could be that could be a very powerful powerful weekend yeah and the 11 a.m class every every day through february will be heart opening um Mm. so you know, I always like to theme my classes. So February will be all heart opening all the time from 11 to 12.15 on Sunday mornings as yeah, well. Very good. Well, and moving into the holidays upcoming, what's your theme been like last week or next week or like in December? Well, what we're doing right now is we're in the middle of a chokra series. So we just did the heart. Yes, not yesterday, but, you know, on Sunday, we just did the heart. It was yesterday. And um, so we're doing the throat, uh, the Vishuddha, seat of purification and communication. We'll be doing that this coming Sunday. And I'm timing it out so because I can do it for one week or two weeks so that we'll finish with uh, the aura um, at the end of January and then move into the heart just Heart, heart, heart for February. Okay, that's beautiful. It's all about love. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I love how intentional you are about planning your classes. And, you know, I've learned a lot just talking with you on this interview about the depth of material that you have at your disposal and the d- depth of teaching that you've, you've been through and are going through still at this point so that's that's very cool yeah it's really been fun i just i just want to thank you for having given kundalini yoga a home for all of these years i mean and i think the community thanks you too yeah well it's a it's our honor to have you in the community here and i look forward to um getting into some of the gong meditations and and some of your 11 11 a.m classes on sunday so i think we're approaching the end here. Um, what a great enlightening conversation. We covered a lot of territory, which was awesome. And I really want to thank you for taking the time out to uh, share your experience and your journey with the community, not just in the Midwest, but well beyond. And mm-hmm. as we each month, we reach every two weeks, we put this podcast out, we pick up listeners from all over the place. Mm-hmm. So 
So thank you for being a part of that. Oh, thanks, Dave. <laughs> and thank you, Nikki, for founding this so many years ago. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I mean, this love just started way back when, and it just continues. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So namaste. Satnam. <laughs> thank you all for tuning in to listen to my conversation with Diane Hancock. What a, what a treasure she is to our community here. And... For those of you who aren't familiar with our our podcast, we have details in the description of the podcast, so we'll give you ways to contact Diane or hear about what she's up to. You can find her schedule at cityyoga.biz, where she teaches every week, and look forward to her doing some exciting workshops throughout the upcoming year of 2020 that we're into already. And... A couple other events that we have coming up in January. January 11th, there's an exquisite presence workshop with uh, one of our teachers, Jocelyn Romero. She's been on the podcast. And a tarot card reader, Aaron Hutchin. They're going to do an experience uniting yoga and tarot. So that will be an amazing experience. They've done it here once before. It was so well attended. We had to bring them back. So that's January 11th. And then on the 12th, we'll have a yoga teacher training um, free info session. So that'll be 4 to 5, Sunday, January 12th. If you're interested in beginning that journey to become a yoga teacher and want to take part and explore the world-class yoga teacher training program that, that we have established here for years at City Yoga, you can find out more about that. Then we also have an intro to yoga series beginning January 18th. It'll meet for three Saturdays in a row. You'll get a good immersion into different aspects of beginning your yoga journey. Or maybe you've been a little rusty, haven't hit the mat in a while. It's a good opportunity to just kind of die, take a dive in. And these intro sessions are great to ask questions and how to use a prop or modify, or if you've got an injury or anything you're recovering from, that's a great opportunity to um, jump into that. Those will be held on Saturdays. And then we have a tuning into Tejase, a meditation on light and sound with Jamie Anderson and Rachel Lee, which they've combined their creativity to create this, this yogic, artistic blend of sensory experience with live music and visual light refraction performance. And uh, it's just like a very relaxing and uh, inspirational uplifting experience. Um, again, they've, they've done it here before. It was so popular. It sold out so fast that we have opened up two sessions on Saturday, January 25th. There's an early, like a 4.30 session and then a later 7 o'clock session. So that's coming up. I'll be doing a Discovering Meditation and Mindfulness workshop for three hours on Saturday, February 8th. And that will be a an immersion into different styles of meditation designed for people wanting to find a meditation practice, exploring different styles of meditation and understanding the little nuance of mindfulness and what that looks like. A good place to ask questions. And don't worry, we're not going to sit and meditate for three hours, but we'll do short meditation sessions on a variety of styles. So you're welcome to check that out and, and much, much more coming up. You know, we are a school of yoga and health. So we offer trainings year round 
We offer workshops from these amazing local teachers and world-renowned experts in the field of yoga. So check out our events page at www.cityyoga.biz. And thank you once again for tuning in. Uh, we also would love it if you gave us a review or left us a comment and would love to have suggestions on future guests you'd like to hear. So with that, that's all I have for today. Enjoy your listen. Take care. Thank you for listening to The Yoga Voice, brought to you by City Yoga School of Yoga and Health, where we are committed to exploring how yoga inspires and transforms. Find out more at www.cityyoga.biz. That's C-I-T-Y-O-G-A dot biz. Special thanks to our producer, Brian Sims, for his audio expertise.